the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Sean Davis, co-founder of The Federalist, Federalist.com, tweeted out yesterday, a source familiar with Durham's ongoing investigation of the bogus Russian collusion operation tells Federalist, Quote, Durham isn't doing anything, dropping his investigations. He's worried about blowback from Biden. What an absolute disgrace, unquote. Sean Davis, pretty reliable source, a Federalist, pretty reliable source, too. Does a pretty good job, from my experience, in sourcing the information they report and comment upon. And uh, also somebody who's been following the Russian collusion, the bogus Russian collusion operation, as he calls it, uh, since the outset. Uh, what does that mean if that's true? I mean, I'm serious. What, what hope is there for our republic if a permanent political ruling class operating above the law persists? For more on that and perhaps an answer to that question, we're pleased to be joined again by Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano, Vice President of the Catherine and Shelby Cullum Davis Institute for International Studies at the Heritage Foundation, author of Wiki at War and Private Sector Public Wars. Jim, thanks for being with us. Hey, good to be with you. So what hope, Jim? What hope? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. It's it's kind of like listening to a bunch of reports with a, a blindfold on. I mean, Sean's great. I, I get that. But, I mean, the reality is, is we don't know what Durham is doing. We don't have... You know, he's never publicly stated what he's going to do. We don't know the veracity of what he did. So understand, it, but but what if it's it, all just conjecture? This look. So we see this it before. Is our, what if it is? Yeah, true? I mean, we no, we we've seen this before in our democracy. Um, for example, go back to Counter Intel Pro, which was a a, a massive surveillance program uh, that was run by the FBI in the in the 60s, going after um, um, civil rights and anti-war activists, and there were a number of abuses there. Um, this is okay. This is what's really important here because, yeah, you can get elected into political power and you can use that power in an abusive way and you can use that power to cover up what you're doing. But the genius and the strength of the American system is that we have three independent branches of government that can check and balance each other. So, for example, congr- the congressional inquiries into abuses by the FBI was fundamental to just keeping that thing from being swept under the rug. So here's the, the real danger that I worry about is, you know, people can try this stuff all they want, but when you start talking about packing the Supreme Court, adding states so you have a, you know, a, a permanent majority in the Congress, um, and, and these other activities which essentially consolidate power in the executive branch, and, and, and that is, that's what we ought to all ought to be really, really worried about. That's the really big picture. Well, that's why we have to make sure that at least one of the senators in the runoff in Georgia wins the election. 
Well, I mean, this is if if you want congressional oversight, uh, you know, effective congressional oversight that doesn't come when it's controlled by the the party of of the administration. I mean, you know, sometimes you can get good bipartisan oversight, but you know, the record under the Obama administration was the the, the president really used the two houses of Congress not as a check and balance or as a, a separate branch of government. But to really dictate, you know, his policies, and and the leaders in the House and the Senate, um, you know, particularly Harry Reid, were they were just fine with that. Um, it, I, and the people that are coming back in, they're going to have the the same game plan. So when you talk about doing away with the filibuster, packing the court, you know, adding states, um, that's that's really disturbing stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I take your point that uh, FBI abuses have happened uh, in in the past um, and, uh, and government has been turned on the citizenry in the past uh, despicably. So whether it's uh, during the civil rights era, as you, as you point out the uh, war protesters or more recently in the previous administration, uh, the IRS targeting people based on their political and religious beliefs. It seems to me though, you know, the repetition and the institutionalization and the, uh, the lack of any reckoning for those in power over and over and over again has a cumulative effect. So it's one thing to say we've had these problems before. It's another thing to say now what we've done is we decry those problems, or at least half of us do, and then nobody's held to account, and that permanent political class persists on. At some point, there is that breaking point. Well, I mean, so there's two concerns. One, you know, one is the one that I just talked about, which is essentially institutionalizing these practices. And the other one is 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 essentially people thinking that well if we can get away with it we'll just keep doing it. Yes. And so so for example I mean the, the system was clearly weaponized against Michael Flynn. Now maybe not in a way where anybody actually you know committed a crime by the letter of the law, but there but it's indisputable that that the uh, going after Flynn was a political attack. And it's indisputable that dragging out the the Russia probe was a political attack, and it's indisputable that the indictment of the president was a political. These are all political weapons that were done, and and so, but and you get away with that because if you haven't, you know, and we can debate whether somebody actually broke a crime with that, but if you can't prove that somebody broke a crime, and you, you know, and you feel like you're the Teflon Don. Um, then the tendency is to want to go back and do that again. And again, when you put the same people back in who ran that game plan, do you really expect them to do any difference? And the answer is we don't, which is why an independent judiciary uh, and an independent uh, Senate uh, is going to be fundamentally crucial if we're ever going to stop this, what, you know, what we've seen. Uh, the uh, over the weekend, Sidney Powell, uh, General Flynn's attorney, since you brought up General Flynn and, of course, part of uh, the Trump campaign legal team, uh, suggested that both Gina Haspel and Christopher Ray be fired immediately uh, and uh, not in the context of the Russian collusion, or at least that wasn't her focus, but rather right. their uh, failure to address complaints about the quality of the security with respect to election systems like those provided by Dominion. Uh, uh, despite the complaints from both sides over the years about uh, expressing concerns about uh, election integrity. Uh, What's your reaction to what she had to say? 
Well, I, you know, I want to wait to see how the, the, the stuff uh, this stuff plays out in the court. I mean, obviously, she's a, a lawyer, and she has a, a, a side to argue, and, and that's what she's going to argue. Um, you know, we need to see how this plays out. I think, look, I mean, I think there's two – there's a lot of things going on here. First of all, I, there's, I guess, a recount in Georgia. Uh, is it Arizona? Also? Wisconsin. I mean, you know, Wisconsin. All right, so there, there are well at least a couple of states that are having recounts. We need to see how that plays out. Um, and there are legal challenges, and and we need to to see how those play out. I'm going to wait and and uh, and see that. And look, I think you know people use a lot of different words, but I think there's it is perfectly legitimate if a candidate for an office, any office, feels the irregularities for whatever reason or whatever purpose or function or motivation were conducted, which affected the outcome of the election, they have a legal recourse through both, you know, the states and the federal to challenge that and de- trying to deny them that or, or disparage that before they've had a chance to have their day in court. I think that's, that's, that is an abuse of, of our notion of, of um, equality under the law and, and a system of ordered liberty. And Biden even said in one of the debates that he's not going to concede until the election is certified. And so I don't think Trump and everyone keeps waiting every day. Oh, he's, you know, hurting the image of the United States around the world by not conceding. He needs to stand his ground. No, I think he's respecting the rule of law, which is perfectly appropriate. Uh, and, and I don't think we're endangering the transition of the U.S. government. Somebody has served on a transition team and know how those things work. I don't think there's anything going on right now that's that's preventing us from effectively transitioning to another Trump administration or or a Biden administration. And and Biden's been in D.C. for 40 plus years and he's, you know, he knows the ins and outs of the game. He was vice president for eight years, for gosh sakes. No, look, nothing. Look, most of what goes on now in transition uh, in any transition team is really about putting your cabinet together. None of that actually requires to be in any federal offices. It doesn't require anything. Just you getting your act together and getting ready to go and, and put people before Congress to get nominated. That's 99% of of what goes on. And the other stuff is, you know, they're drafting executive orders. But again, you don't need access to the federal government to do that. And and indeed, even if you had access to the federal government, they're not going to do anything for you. You're not the president. All they'll do, all all that happens when people get access to federal agencies during a transition. The federal agencies just tell them what they're doing. That's it. They don't take orders from them. They don't work with them. They don't help them because they can't because they're not the president. So, um, yeah, and, and, and you, I mean, you said the, the right word. There's two ways an election gets certified. Either the electors come together, the, the electors or, or the states come together and they vote and they make a determination, or it goes to the House and the House makes a determination. Until that, you know, nobody's certified as anything. Uh, just going back to the, um, this permanent ruling class that um, bothers me. Uh, the uh, response last week from 16 assistant U.S. attorneys to Attorney General Barr's order to probe any legitimate claims of voter fraud in their states. That uh, letter was sent on Monday. This response from 16 AUSAs was sent back on Friday <laughs> saying there's no evidence of election fraud. Uh, a four day exhaustive search by these AUSAs. I assume it wasn't the uh, United States attorneys because they didn't want to be fired on the spot. But. 
Okay. Um, the, the headline, top prosecutors say there's no evidence of election fraud. It's interesting. Uh, Attorney General Barr, despite all the qualifications in the letter about the prospect that it would overturn the election, about the need to have a high bar to open investigations, but to take a look because of the allegations swirling to enhance the legitimacy of whatever the outcome is among the American public, because that's important. That was received as that's political. This response from a handful of AUSAs is received as not political, number one, and number two, the definitive word on the topic. Yeah, well, first of all, I, I, I can't evaluate the response because I haven't seen it, but I, I would agree with you. I thought Barr's order was designed to reinforce the integrity of the American electoral system. It wasn't designed to undermine it. And But look, this is something you know that we have seen unbroken now for years is – you have an adversarial press, which doesn't accurately report the news. Um, the, you know, we had a march on Saturday, and 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 uh, the the report was white supremacists, far right extremists, and Trump supporters march in Washington D.C. Look, I, I was out Saturday. I walked around. I saw tens of thousands of people. Um, when None did you become? Like, when did you become a white supremacist? <laughs> well, I was. I wasn't even marching with anybody. I was just. We, we were. We were going to buy. We were going to the uh, drugstore. But you know, sure I mean, you, you know, we, we were. We were walking around downtown, and and there were, you know, you know, there were Spanish people and people from Latin America and Asian people, and you know, you know, looked like farmers and stuff. But you know, and a lot of people carrying Trump flags, but. But I, I, there may have been white supremacists in the crowd. I don't know that. But but to essentially lead with that statement, leaving the impression that this was tens of thousands of white supremacists watching Washington D.C. What do you expect? This, I want to go back to the prosecutor thing because this is a real issue. There, one of my colleagues in the Heritage Foundation, um, Colleen Simpson and Zach Smith, have been writing about this. Is this notion of rogue prosecutors where you know, George Soros and organized groups on the left have really broken the code on this about getting not the federally appointed prosecutors, but the elected prosecutors, getting in those races, getting people elected, and then having them in place not to, not to you know, oversee the law, but essentially to put a polit- push a political agenda. So we've seen this, for example, in Portland and Baltimore and other cities where they just don't prosecute the crimes that they don't, that they don't think are politically correct. It's uh, it's a it's a real real danger. It's a real thing. Rogue prosecutors. It's a real real thing. And and the media doesn't help because essentially what they're doing is just picking sides. So you have a, a prosecutor gives a political statement and they just characterize that as objective. And then a prosecutor gives an objective statement and they prosecute they they describe that as political. Yeah, that's about it's right. Orwellian. That's about right. Uh, I wanted to get your take on uh, this Axios report that uh, part of Trump's goal, if he is to exit on January twentieth is to make it politically untenable for the Biden administration to change course on China uh, and to to act more aggressively to pursue hardline policies against China uh, as China acts aggressively from India to Hong Kong to Taiwan. And uh, Joe Biden's response so far has been to say that we'll re- rejoin the World Health Organization. If that is true, are there, there specific things you think Trump can or should do to try to box a Biden administration in on China? Well, I think it's it's very, very difficult to tie the hands of a, a, a future president, particularly mm-hmm. on an issue as big as China. And, and I, I, would, I mean, I, I've been analyzing, you know, both sides. It's difficult, you know, because you listen to campaign rhetoric and it's meaningless. I mean, you know, Trump, you knew what you were going to get. This, you knew what you would get in the second term because it would be this, what he did in the first term. Um, you have 
you can look, go back and look at the Obama record, but it's a different world than it was four years ago. Um, so the, I, I don't know if that's a perfect exemplar, but you know, we would, would under Biden, you would have the same team coming back, who effectively tragically failed to deal with China for four years. Um, on the campaign, campaign trail, you have a bunch of blah blah, which really doesn't interpret as anything. So I, I find it very difficult to kind of divine exactly what a, a Biden policy would look like. But, you know, look, we've already seen countries starting to hedge. We have a number of countries just sign up for a free trade agreement with China, which is nuts because it's the one country in the world that doesn't agree in free trade. Um, so you already see, you know, signs that people think, well, if it is a Biden team, you know, we need to start hedging because we're not sure we can trust the United States. That's incredibly unhelpful. Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano, the vice president of the Catherine and Shelby Cullen Davis Institute for International Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Jim, thanks as always. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Owen Strand for townhall.com. It's now become a normal event on Twitter. President Trump tweets something about election results and Twitter leadership attaches a disclaimer to it. This claim about election results is disputed. Most everyone is aware that the president has a lively presence on social media. Every citizen in this country is free to evaluate the president's claims as they see fit. But Twitter should not be moderating the president's tweets. Doing so is a weakening of free speech. Twitter is a publicly held company, but is still free to set its own rules. That does not mean that they don't have a responsibility to promote free speech. Like higher education institutions, liberty either flourishes or goes to die in such settings. Twitter should not act as the president's self-appointed big brother. Twitter should let free speech be free and leave it to citizens to figure out the rest. I'm Owen Strand. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For those considering careers in politics and policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.